Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Taoism to uncover their timeless wisdom and discuss how we might apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, a practicing psychotherapist, and I'm joined by my co-host, executive coach David Wong. Morning, David. Good morning, Ian. How are you today? I'm doing well. How about you? It's fall is in full force up here. We're seeing the leaves are changing. We're we're still where it's mostly green on the trees, but some some trees have completely dropped all of their leaves. Some are beautiful golds and really mm. bright reds and kind of glowing orange and lots of things in between and, and lots of green. So I think we, we still have maybe a week of peak leaf color changing. And, and then, of course, we'll be deep into fall and just lots of brown brown remnants left on the trees. I see. Well, this is the time of the year that, uh, you know, if you're interested in uh, photography, it's to walk around in your neighborhood and take some good snapshots of those, you know, spectacular colors. Yeah, I have some some intentions to get out with the camera and hopefully find some interesting birds perched in front of some of those beautiful colors can make for a great background. But um, I've also been a little lazy this week, so we'll see. <laughs> well, if I if I want to say, well, share some maybe some beautiful photos, you know, maybe that will give you some incentive, you know, to uh, get outdoors. <laughs> I I will take whatever incentive I can get. So yeah, I, I will I will make a point to try to take a nice photo this week. Great, great, great. So I know this week we're we're it's episode fifty one for us, and we're continuing our progress through um, the return to Tao Te Ching. And so this week, we're going to get into Chapter 8, which is really about Lao Tzu's water metaphor, which water is its a significant metaphor in Taoism. It's used to explain a lot of the qualities that we're also trying to emulate. And so we're going to talk about that today, but I'm wondering if you would be willing to start off by reading chapter eight for us. Yes. Okay. Let me do. Shang shan ruo shui. Shui shan li wan wu ar bu zheng. Chu zhong ren zhi suo wu. Gu ji yu dao. Ju shan di. 心善渊,與善人,言善性,正善智,事善能,動善時,夫為不爭,故無憂。Thank you. And I know we were talking about translations and hearing you read the Chinese version, it makes me feel a lot more content with our selection because just that rhythm of the the biggest part of the chapter eight with you know the the three or four characters where Lao Tzu's describing water and so I'm I'm gonna read that translation and most of this is from a red pine translation but I'm also going to use uh, uh, some pieces from uh, a Lin Yutong version as well. Great. The best are like water, bringing help to all without competing. Choosing what others avoid, they thus approach the Tao. Dwelling with earth, thinking with depth, helping with kindness, speaking with honesty, governing with peace, working with skill, and moving with time, it is because he does not contend that he is without reproach. 
And so this this theme of, of water, we when when we were preparing, we were talking about you know just the different qualities of water and, and really trying to get at the essence of what this chapter was about. And we kind of you had said something in our preparation that just seemed to be like at the real heart of it, which was the difference between cultivating our internal world versus fighting with the external world. And and that kind of dynamic that we all have a choice in life, you know, how, how much do we work on changing ourselves internally versus pushing against the environment insisting and insisting that the environment change or, or putting our will on the environment. And so, you know, one of the things that you had talked about was that quote from Jefferson and, and there was something that Jefferson said about, being as strong as a rock when it comes to principle, but being flexible when it comes to style. So uh, what I'm wondering, David, if if you would talk about this quote and or talk about you know what Jefferson was saying here, and maybe even bring in some examples of what that might look like in in practice perhaps bringing in some of your experience in, in corporate consulting. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking uh, where to start. Um, a lot of times, I think the re- people um It seems to me like people are focusing on the uh, the outward, the outward behaviors, and the behaviors tend, as you said, tend to be very uh, either competitive or uh, competitive. Uh, so with a kind of a fighting spirits. Um, over the years, I noticed that. Uh, in you know the different cultures and traditions, there's a lot of talk on the outward uh, softness, mm. but the inward toughness. Mm. I think what Jefferson here is saying, you know, be very uh, be very persistent and be very firm in terms of our deep held values, but when it comes down to, you know, styles and, you know, expressions, you know, we can be more um, flexible. Yeah, and and so, you know, we're, we're always thinking about how we can be more flexible with style, but maintaining our principles, if, if someone was coming to you for coaching, whether it's as an executive or as a student, what are some ways that, that you think that we can kind of uh, apply this way of, of maintaining our principles, but being flexible when we're interact with our style, when we're interacting with the environment? Mm-hmm. I, I I think pragmatically, the reason why we want to be flexible uh, in matters of style, uh, you know, according to my own personal experience and also in observation of others, I feel that only that will enable you actually by being flexible, uh, it will save you a lot of energy so mm. that you can better focus on yourself because mm. otherwise you know your energy can be scattered mm. in fighting with the outside world so just you know we know 
we have limited bandwidth um, every day. So if that energy is not smartly deployed, uh, I don't think it's a smart thing. So let's say in the corporate world, I find that sometimes more effective people, they're very, um, they're very uh, shrewd or smart in picking up the battles. They don't get in all kinds of battles. And, and so a significant part of it is just we're, we're trying to conserve energy, that if we're going to war with the world each, each day, we're exerting a lot of energy. We're draining ourselves of, of energy, and, and then maybe when we need that energy for something else, it's not available. And so... Right, right, right. Just purely for... Uh, you know, pragmatic reason, mm -hmm. I think that's why we need to be flexible. By being flexible and adaptable, we're better at uh, being ourselves. I think the water is a good example. You know, flexible as it is, it's still water, right? Mm -hmm. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. able to retain its essence as water. Yeah, it doesn't let the external world change its structure right it's nature or its, its nature. essence yep i mean its form changes but it's still h2o it's you know if we think about h2o as the principles that we you know h2o is the molecular structure of of water right you're and right if we think about yeah. that as the principle yeah water can can flow into any container can flow down any kind of terrain and its form is going to adapt to whatever situation it's in, but its structure, its principle retains H2O and the, the qualities of, of it do, do not get erased. Yes, exactly. And yeah. so if we're in a, a tough situation, our style might have to change a lot. Our form might have to change a lot. Maybe we don't want to necessarily even be in a particular situation, but when we find that we're, we're there, we have to adapt. And so, you know, the way that we uh, uh, adapt is we're, we're talking about, at least in this chapter, not contending. So not not arguing, not not bringing up resistance, and still, yeah, that's a yeah. challenge. Yeah. Well, at least they're not arguing on things that don't matter that much. Sometimes we might have the the hindsight to see that, but I think it's extremely important in the middle of an action, you're quickly discern or size up the situation and, and and tell yourself, you know, what exactly you're trying to accomplish in that situation. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you see, uh, you know, for certain individuals, either because of ego or something that in hindsight may not be that important, you know, in that moment, getting to the way and uh, trigger all the fight. And and so, how do we prepare for that? How do we how do we work on practicing our internal mental and emotional states so that we mm -hmm. can be this way and not like the external world affect us as much? And I mean, I know you know you and I were just talking today about how. Mm -hmm. We can talk about balance and we can talk about all these things, but then when life hits you, it, it hits you. Right, right. Uh, a couple of things I can think of. Uh, number one is uh, to reflect on past experiences, right? 
because otherwise we experience on all the things, but if these experiences not are not reflected upon, we're not truly learning anything mm-hmm. from that those experiences. Uh, you know, I'm sure you know for for us, you know, we sometimes we look back on things. Maybe those things are several years ago or, or only yesterday. You know, we find we 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 had a different perspective, mm. right? And our internal um, reflection can reveal a lot of things. So it's a. I think self-reflection is a very very important skill because otherwise, you know, we'll just repeat what we're, you know, conditioned to do. Yeah, that, that reflecting on our experiences, you know, what when we had that converse, that difficult conversation with someone, whether it goes right or whether it goes wrong or whether it feels good or uncomfortable or whatever, but yeah. really reflecting on, you know, how did I show up there? How did I yeah. handle that situation? What was the other person doing? I mean, we have to take the time to look at how we're handling things and compost that so that the next time maybe we are just a little bit more prepared. Right, right, right. Um, The other thing we could do is to observe others. Sometimes, you know, in a a group setting, Facing the same situation, uh, different individuals respond to that situation differently. And I think just to take the time to observe how others handle, you know, maybe all of us face, have similar feelings internally, but I think behavior-wise, you see different responses. And some responses may lead to better outcome. So. That's another thing that we can learn. Well, what are some of those responses? What what responses um, do you think lead to better outcomes? Sometimes delay. I think a lot of times, um, you know, relationship cannot be repaired because at that moment, if you cannot, uh, it's not like you're not angry, but if you let that, that anger out, uh, and uh, you harm the relationship, it takes a longer time to repair it. Mm-hmm. So take control of that. And then it's not like you are trying to avoid it. You've, you, you can come back and find another way to address it. Uh, it it's better than damaging the relationship right in that moment. Thinking about longer cycles, longer periods of time, that it's counterintuitive for our culture because our culture, it's always about right now. Now it's got to. This has got to happen now. I've got to do this now. This whatever this next thing is, it's very impulsive and now, now, now. Mm -hmm. Where taking a a a a train of thought where. There's longer cycles, bigger periods of time, bigger seasons, waiting for the right time for something, allowing space and time Mm -hmm. to handle most of the problem. And then we don't have to interfere as much, which is also a a part of Taoism that we we only interfere as little as possible. So this might mean just to use a, a metaphor, you want to cross a, a, a stream. Well, if it's springtime and the water is, is raging, if you force that and you fight that, you might find yourself in a really bad situation if you put yourself in that water. Mm-hmm. But if you just wait a month or two for spring to work its course, and you come back and try to cross that stream, it might be more like a trickle. 
Right, right, right. That's a good uh, uh, metaphor. Yeah. And so it might be the same with maybe a human relations. Maybe, maybe we've gotten ourselves into a, a situation with a coworker or someone that we 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 need to that we rely upon. If we force that situation because we feel like we you know we need it now or we need to resolve it now it can be like drowning in those intense emotions where if we give it some time and maybe wait for those emotions to to calm or or to change for the for the calmer and then revisit and return we can find we can actually re- resolve that situation without any argument or in- intensity at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned the the cultural aspects. Um, I uh, I share a similar observation that the American culture. I think we tend to, uh, you know, tend to focus on now uh but also i i what i can share with you just by observing over the years you know what china the china is how china is evolving Mm. i think that kind of now and short-termism uh is also getting more and more uh prominent in the chinese culture Mm. so maybe that's a the the common trend of a modern society versus, you know, as opposed to a traditional society. So that's number one. I see, uh, I think the younger generation, um, yeah, both the younger generation and I think uh, people at my age group, uh, you know, we just don't have that much of a patience as the, uh, you know, our our parents Mm -hmm. and the grandparents. Uh, number one. Number two is I sometimes I really, you know, living uh, in the 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 American culture, the Western culture, I find sometimes uh, that uh, impatience uh, can have a good outcome, too. So mm-hmm. the, the reason I say that is. I think the Chinese traditional culture encouraged people to be, let's say, more patient and long ter- long-term wise. Mm-hmm. But I see sometimes if you know certain emotions, uh, especially the negative ones, are not are buried or repressed mm. or are not channeled in certain way, it also causes big problems. You know, people hold grudges mm. and, and 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 can get into a very dysfunctional relationship. Oh. So we can see that, you know, on the one extreme that, you know, we can get very dysfunctional if we cannot, we do not have the patience. But if you have uh, people, you know, in a culture are encouraged to be, to be quote unquote patient, and be other oriented, uh, that can also cause problem. So maybe the solution is somewhere in the middle that we are not, you know, we're trying to learn not to be that impulsive. Mm-hmm. You know, certain impulse control is necessary for a good relationship, but that doesn't mean we have to sacrifice our own needs and try to repress it and deny it. So it be evolved into something even bigger, negative. Right. I think that's a great point because really what we're talking about then is that we we don't want to be contending with our own emotions either. Like there's there's the yes. If if we're if we're forcing our emotions down, that's also a form of of not being like water. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So it's really like an, an, it seems to me like an art or, uh, you know, trying to integrate the, you know, the, the two polarities or, you know, the paradoxes. 
Yeah, wa- water is very much like a, a paradox in that we can't really describe it, it. It has its own inherent qualities, mm-hmm. but we really can only describe it and talk about it within the context of it existing in an environment. You know, yeah, is, yeah. Is it yeah. frozen? Is it liquid? Is it a gas? Is it what shape it takes? All that's dependent upon the conditions, but it does have an inherent quality. It's it's very much like a paradox. Mm-hmm. So that means that we're also kind of like a, a, a paradox. And how do you see, you know, the the situation that we're in as, as a paradox as, as humans. Um, could you reframe your question? I sure. Sure. Yeah. That, that we're, we're kind of in this position where we're trying to, we, we recognize that we're a separate organism Mm -hmm. we're we're human beings that we're a closed system but we're always embedded within an environment that we're in a relationship with and so it's we're the same kind of paradox where it's like we're like the particle and the wave at the same time where when i when i just kind of measure myself i can see yeah, I, I have a lifespan. I was born in the city to these parents, mm-hmm. and I can talk about myself singularly. But the reality is, is that all of us are are only ever a relationship to whatever environment we're in at the time, and so we're 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 not really separate beings but we are then that's what i mean by being paradoxical that we're we are also just like water and that yes we we are this separate thing just like water is h2o mm-hmm. but how we're constantly unfolding is completely dependent upon the environment so kind of again going back to the paradox that we are, which is that we're trying to ma- maintain ourselves, but that's sort of an illusion that our ourselves are always sort of this relationship to the environment. I see. I see. Um, probably the notion of interdependence mm. is a helpful one, because when you think about it, um, we start you know, as a child, you know, in the in in a state of more or less of dependence, right? Even mm-hmm. you know, yeah. child has his or her own personalities, but pretty much we are dependent on our parents yeah. for resources and the support. Then we then we start a new stage, you know, try to strike on our own and be independent. But independence, as you said, uh, you know, depending on how you understand it, can be an illusion. Mm -hmm. Uh, The way I think about independence is to cultivate whatever that agency you have, right? You have uh, to maximize it so you can, uh, you know, be on your own, think uh, independently, you know, achieve financial uh, freedom, all those kinds of things. Mm. Like you, your response start to responsible for yourself. Mm. But some people go very far, believing that through their own independent efforts and thinking, so they start to act atomize themselves. I think in a lot of ways, mm. uh, believing that you know the absolute of in independence. I think at the third stage in our life, we start, we, we kind of 
you know, summarize. It's almost like the Hegel's, you know, the thesis, you know, the uh, uh, what do you call the thesis, the synthesis, right? The antithesis. So the third stage is the real appreciation for interdependence, meaning that you know I have cultivated a strong sense of self, mm. but also I rely on my ecosystem on others to thrive. Mm. Mm. So re- really recognizing both sides of the, the paradox and and when yeah, you have that whole yeah. perspective, then you do have that ability to be more like water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so interdependent itself has that just, you know, has its own paradox in it. But throughout life, we are growing in our wisdom and abilities to find that, you know, to find that balance, to find that optimal point between depending depending on others, on the environment, but at the same time, not be, how would you describe it, not become so dependent that we don't have a strong sense of ourselves. Yeah, that that really that blending part where it's like, yes, I can't, I I don't want to give up my whole sense of self, my sense of being, but I do have to recognize that it's not just me doing all this life on my own, that I, I interdepend upon the people that I encounter, the, the, environment that I'm interacting with and recognizing that we're all kind of flowing through time together that in, in, in the translation where really gets into close to the end of chapter eight in the red pine translation where the, the sage is, is talking about moving with time. That's really what Mm -hmm. we're talking about there is that, when we move with time, we're, we're, we're not moving independently. That right now, in this present moment, the whole world is moving together in time. And I think we, we, we minimize that and we, we kind of overlook the significance of that. That right now, every single living organism in this mm. planet is moving in time at the exact same time mm-hmm. like we're, mm-hmm. we're all interdepending upon this moment and this moment and this moment and we're all kind of surfing on the same wave and how just mind-boggling is that mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's almost like feels like um you you can't escape it i mean you are part of it right you're 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 both um shaped by it and also you are you are both in uh, a, a participant and and also a observer so that that is the kind of almost like very interactive right as mm. an individual as a as a self you're interacting all the time mm. you're influencing and also you've got to be influenceable yes i mean we we forget we're also the environment. Yes, we're we're embedded in the environment, but we're also the environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and everything in this moment in time is being shaped by the environment. And so, yes, maybe it's to a greater or lesser extent. Mm-hmm. But going back to when we're fighting this moment we're fighting ourselves because we are this moment. You are exactly right. And so how do we stop fighting this moment? Um, finding the reason why mm. we're fighting this moment. 
Mm. Because I, you know, I've observed many individuals who, you know, as I said, uh, you know, who make tough transition, let's say, from dependence to independence, and then from independence to interdependence. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that they that transition is hard, because in the previous stage, they encounter some problems. Mm. Um, so let's say the fighting spirit. You know, if you see the life stories of different individuals, including some of the executives I work together, I think their childhood had a great impact on their way of thinking. You would say, you know, you would think that their education and the, you know, business successes, you know, would, uh, you know, um, you know, would would kind of elevate them to a certain state of consciousness. But when you go a little bit deeper, still a lot of their childhood experiences standing their way. What are the patterns that you've seen? Let's say like a demanding uh, parents, mm. you know, the parents who are over controlling. I think that dynamics um, has a very long term effect on the individuals. And uh, I think it almost the individuals feel compelled to be in a, in a fighting situation to put the boundaries or to assert the independence mm. and not even though like he or she feels it's necessary to merge with the outside world but that extreme in their early childhood you know may still be the obstacle for that yeah i mean just i'm going to make a big Kind of a big leap, but it's it's popular on Netflix right now. The mm-hmm. the Jeff Dahmer story, which for people that aren't familiar with him, was a, he was a serial killer in the United States and in, in Milwaukee in the eighties and, and early nineties. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing that that he talked about was that he didn't want to be um, he wanted to control all of his victims so much because he talked about how his whole life he had been overly controlled by parents, mm-hmm. teachers, society. And so because he felt like every aspect of his life had been controlled so much, he felt this very strong urge to want to project all that onto someone else to completely control and possess someone else. And so that relationship again, between dependence, you know, when, when you're being controlled, mm-hmm. you're hundred percent dependent upon whoever's controlling you. And if you're independent, obviously you're, you're, you're trying to re- reverse that and so right you are doing almost the opposite thing you know in china we have something um called let's say because in china it's a let's say in a family um according to the confucian you know values let's say the daughter-in-law right Mm. the daughter-in-law is 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 supposed to respect Mm. the mother-in-law and then the son gets in the middle. But once the daughter-in-law becomes the mother-in-law, she mm-hmm. turned all the sufferings and tried to treat the new daughter-in-law in a, in a, in a very cruel way. Mm-hmm. That's how things got perpetuated mm-hmm. uh, you know, in that family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, sometimes I wonder if that similar thing happened to an individual when in a dependent situation is over controlled by others, but once he, you know, builds up his independence, you know, he almost to do the same thing to the new person who is mm-hmm. kind of in a dependent 
on his resources or power. And so seeing, you know, you, you've seen that same dynamic play out in the organizations like you're talking about, that many times the, the leaders then of these corporations, whatever kind of dynamic that they've had growing up, that mm -hmm. might get replicated or reenacted in their organization. And so then that whole organization is going to be, to some extent, maybe a reflection of how much they've worked on the stuff from their childhood. Yeah. The, the interesting thing is because the organization is not, let's say, one individual, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if that individual has, uh, you know, a lot of power, mm -hmm. you can imagine that style dominated and become, you know, a, a core part of the culture, mm -hmm. right? But other people have different, you know, childhood experiences and family background. So in the organization, it may cancel out a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all very dynamic. You know, if even when you look at a business, sometimes the business does require a lot of control to ensure, let's say, accountability uh, to be very tough. Uh, but so those individuals, you know, maybe mm -hmm. um, they could play a role, a, a, a constructive role in that. But the thing is, things are changing. So if they are becoming over controlling and they realize the organization or the company needs to be more fluid and dynamic and more inclusive, then they get into trouble because of that, you know, command and control. Mm -hmm. And so kind of bring things kind of back full circle again, it's that then through the process of reflection, that we're able to see like, okay, I was too controlling in that situation or I was too passive in that situation. And then we can kind of then better shape ourselves for these events so that when they, they happen, we're, we're more prepared for how to flow through them like water. Well, yes, ideally that if that self-awareness and self-reflection happens, then there is a good chance of, you know, for, for positive change. I think a lot of times it doesn't necessarily happen that way because let's say the person, you know, has certain blind spots, mm. that powerful person. Mm. And the people around them, they are afraid, you know, uh, and also they are, you know, they, they watch the style of that person. That mm. person is not close-minded in the first place. Mm -hmm. So they don't bring up things. So then that style take the organization to a certain extreme or mm -hmm. you know dead end or the mm -hmm. business get into trouble. And that thing, that event, that crisis may wake him up if that person is not in de denial. Yeah. So really self-reflection and self-awareness is something that uh, needs to be cultivated. And I think it varies from individual to individual. Mm -hmm. it, it, I almost feel like it requires, a, it's, it's definitely not something that, you know, people talked about it, but it, it doesn't happen easily. You know, certain individual, they may be already in their soul, they have those seeds to be awakened. Mm. And certain people go through life with all these similar mistakes, and they refuse to change and wake, wake up. Yeah, we have to be open to it. Yeah, yeah. Once there's hope when you, you know, you know, in, 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 um, in the executive coaching world, sometimes, you know, the coaches, they talked a lot about coachability mm. from certain, you know, markers, 
through interaction, you can sometimes you can get a sense of whether change is possible. Mm -hmm. And and then uh, there's also on the opposite end is that for people to open up, they also have to feel safe. And so if the environment can help support people to where they yeah. feel safe, that's going to encourage them to open up. And so that's that dynamic then, again, water with the environment. If If the environment creates a safe cradle for water, water will collect and it, and it will settle. And yes, yes. And then it becomes clear. And it's that same type of relationship that, you know, organizations and fam families, we need to try to bring that into all of our situations because when we're the environment, we need to create that safety for other people so that they're willing to open up where that reflection can happen. Because if people don't feel safe, they're not going to settle. They're not going to op open up and become open to right. clarity, to that growth, right. that coaching. Right. Usually the people who tend to have the greatest power in shaping that environment are the people at the top. Mm -hmm. So the people at the top, uh, ironically, it's not easy to open up. And, and what are the reasons why it feels like it's not easy for them to open up? I think, first of all, um, you know, they have some underlying assumption that, you know, they are supposed to enjoy more leeway mm. and freedom mm. when they get to the top. Mm. So that leeway, that freedom, if they don't, you know, interpret that as pursuing the right thing, mm you know, for the company, that leeway or that freedom is like, do what they want to do. That's pretty hard. Mm. The other thing is the successes that they are able to achieve become the evidence of their not being problematic. Mm. And sometimes even as a, you know, part of the reasons why they are successful. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a self-justifying mm -hmm. loop for mm -hmm. them. So that makes it hard to change mm -hmm. at the top. Yeah, it can maybe develop some over overweened confidence or, um, you know, excessive... Um, rigidity feeling like, oh, well, if, if I've created the success, I must be right. And then right. that yep. might start making them less open to other things. Yeah. Yeah. The people I feel like sometimes who are deliberately to be open is, for example, they, they sometimes they become self-aware that people around them may not tell them everything. So they go, let's say, for a CEO to go into the fields, to go to the stores, if they are retailers, to uh, watch the inter interactions with customers. Mm. That will give them, they, when they form a habit of doing that, that will provide them with some uh, perspective shifting opportunities. Mm. And so what I hear is that when when people get too rigid in their view of the world and view of things, mm -hmm. they, they need to come out of their familiar environment. And like what you're saying is straight out of chapter eight, going to the lower places, you know, come out of your high oh, tower. Yep, yep, yeah. That's a great down to where the work. Yep, come down to where the work is being done. If you're CEO of 
you know, a big retail chain, leave your comfortable plush office and come down to one of these retail stores and get your hands dirty for a, a, a day or maybe even a week. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, along that line, I, 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 I think uh, having their inside circle, including their spouses uh, and the best friends, uh, to give them honest advice mm. is also a good one. Because these people, you know, if they are, you know, candid enough, they can say things that their underlings or the people who work around them mm -hmm. in that power structure mm -hmm. were afraid of telling them. Mm. Sometimes their best friends or their spouses can point it out. Some CEOs have, are fortunate to have those people around them. So they, that free them from, you know, getting to that self-rationalizing, justifying mode. So again, just super important that we, we use the people who are closest to us to give us honest feedback and then sincerely work on integrating it. Yes. Yes. So all that sounds um, like really good takeaways that, you know, if, if we're, if we're in a familiar environment and maybe our perspective is getting too limited, it's probably time for us to step out of that familiar comfort zone and go to those lower places and, and get a sense of what life is like outside of our comfortable little bubble. It's also important that we utilize our trusted advisors, mm -hmm. get honest feedback and say like, hey, you know, what do you think about how I've been acting in this way or, or that? And, and make sure that we don't react to it defensively, that even if we don't agree with it, we take it in, we listen to it, we reflect upon it. But all these things we can see that water acts the same way. You know, if it doesn't resist the external influence, it adapts around it. It goes to the low places. And these are some ways that we can do the exact same thing in our lives. That's a great way of putting it. Yes. Well, David, I appreciate the time that you've spent today talking through chapter eight with us and how we can be more like, like water. Um, I'm looking forward to discussing our, our next podcast, and I, I thank all of our listeners for joining us today. You can look us up on the web at walkingthetimelessway.com. We're always interested in hearing from you. Any, any questions or feedback, feel free to write to us. And until next time, take care.